Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Hey, thanks for coming this morning. We're delighted you're here. Those of you who are at our uh, Klein Campus, Center Court, Eat West, and those of you who are joining us from the Woodlands, good morning to you. Glad you could be with us. And those of you who are... Uh, with us here and worshiping online. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us today here at Faith Bridge. Great to have everybody from the whole community together. Uh, I, I was uh, probably in about uh, second or third grade. I don't remember exactly, but, but I can remember vividly uh, my dad and I were sitting in the den of our house and um, we were working on a, a craft project together. He and I were in this thing called Indian Guides. And it was a father-son deal run by the YMCA. And, and I loved it. And it was great being with my dad. And, and every week we had to do a craft project. And, and, and I don't remember what we were doing that week, but I was just thinking, this is awesome. I'm here with my dad. We're just kind of doing stuff together. And, and, and my dad looked up at a moment, one moment and he said, hey, hey, I, I could use some popcorn and something to drink. How about you? And I go, yes, yes, this is fantastic. Love this. How much better can it get? So my dad gets up to go make uh, some popcorn and get our drinks. And, and uh, while he's gone, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking in the mind of like a six, seven-year-old kid. I'm thinking, I, I, this is going to be really funny. I'm going to play a trick on my dad. And, and so uh, while my dad was out of the room, I took one of the pins that we were using in our craft project. And I put it in his chair in the cushion on which he was sitting and had it pointing straight up. And uh, so my dad comes back in, you know, uh, and, and he's got, you know, popcorn in one hand, our drinks in the other. And, and so he just sits down full force on this pen. Yeah, and, and the next uh, moment is just, just, he's just in pain. I mean, you could just see it, the lines of, of surprise and pain, you know, just etched on his face. And, and, and I thought this was going to be a moment of just, you know, raucous laughter, you know. Because like in cartoons, remember when you were a kid, in cartoons, when somebody sits on a sharp object, they go up several feet. And it's like, whoo! And, and, uh, and you laugh. This is not what happened. My dad uh, begins to tear up. He's in pain. And, and I just feel, I, I can't believe it. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? I mean, my dad loves me and so much. And, and here we were together, and, and I just blew everything by, by hurting him. And I, I just... I just felt awful. I mention that because I think that's a little bit like what it must have felt that day. Um, in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, when, when King David receives a visitor into his private chambers, you remember that at this point it's been several months, um, probably maybe as much as a year since that day that he'd been standing on the rooftop of the palace. And he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. She's bathing on the, uh, in her courtyard next door. And, 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 uh, and, and how romantic and passionate it must have seemed at the time when the two of them carried on this, this, this secret affair that was eventually uh, disrupted by the announcement that she was pregnant. All of a sudden, uh, it, it's a scandal. It looks like everything's going to explode right in their faces. But David, of course, says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a, a mess, but that doesn't mean 
everything has to get messy. And so David sets in place a simple plan. We talked about this a little bit last week in the service. But the plan goes south really, really fast. And by the time uh, we get several chapters into the story, it's just getting uglier and uglier uh, with, with David involved in now, not just adultery, uh, but the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, uh, and uh, who was one of his most loyal officers, as well as several of the men who died with him at his side uh, on the field of battle. So now it's been months, maybe a year, since all this began to unravel and David's conscience is racked by the awareness of his, of his failures and, his, and his, his sin. There have been these nightmares, uh, long nights of sleeplessness, waking up maybe with a cold sweat, with a mind uh, tortured by, by guilt because he thinks about uh, all that, that he has lost and all that he's done. He, this, is a, this is a guy that used to know what it was like to, to walk in sweet fellowship with God and, and now realizing that his life has basically just spiraled into sort of a cesspool of dishonesty and, and betrayal and, 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 and secrecy and sin. Somehow, it doesn't seem very romantic and, and very passionate anymore. It, it just seems cheap. It, it, just seems, it just seems ugly. And it must have been a dramatic scene that day in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when the prophet Nathan came into David's private chambers and said, in no uncertain terms, uh, David, there is a man in your kingdom who has committed a terrible wrong, uh, a heartless act of betrayal and greed and selfishness. And Nathan says, David, that man is you. You are that man. And we don't know if it happened that day or, or, or maybe it happened a few days later, but, but the memory of that was, was fresh enough that it gave birth, that encounter gave birth to one of David's most uh, honest, most poignant, and, and most vulnerable psalms. It's the psalm I want us to look at for a few minutes this morning. It's Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. So if you have a Bible, uh, would you turn to Psalm chapter 51? Uh, and if you don't, you see these people circling uh, with Bibles, they would be very happy to make sure that you get one. If you just shoot your hand up in the air, we will make sure you get a Bible. Psalm chapter 51. And let me just say again as well that if you have questions as you listen today, as you think about this passage, uh, we do this little podcast thing, postscript, uh, immediately follow the service. We would love to uh, hear your thoughts and your questions. There's some information on the bottom right-hand corner of the, I think it's the third page in your bulletin. Join the conversation. Please uh, get us your questions and we will uh, we'll try to think about those today on the podcast. Let me just read beginning in verse one, Psalm chapter 51. We're gonna read the first 17 verses. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. David is the author. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is the occasion of this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Upon my lips, Lord, and my life will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. A broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. Now, one of my hobbies when I was a little boy was carnivorous plants. Carnivorous plants, most of you probably know, carnivorous plants are plants that eat meat. Uh, in that sense, we have a, a common uh, bond. And, uh, and, and, and I love uh, carnivorous plants because they're just, they're, they're, they're unique. They're, they're, me and my brother, we used to love it. Uh, you know, probably the most common uh, carnivorous plant that everybody knows about is the Venus flytrap. And uh, you, you know how they kind of open up a little bug uh, crawls in the middle of the, of the hands and they just kind of close over and, and, and suck the life out of that bug. And, uh, and um, it is great. And, and in fact, me and my brother, we, we would, you know, put little bugs in there and watch them uh, get crushed. And sometimes we put the kitty's paw in it. And, uh, and just you know, try to figure out what, what, like, you can just imagine the Venus flytrap is going, holy cow, if I can just close in. Uh, but but our, favorite, um, our favorite carnivorous plant was not the Venus flytrap. Our favorite was a, a plant called the pitcher plant. The pitcher plant is a lesser known carnivorous plant, but it is a very, very intriguing plant because it seduces its victims with a nectar that pools uh, in the, in the bowl-like top of the plant. That's why it's called a pitcher, a pitcher plant. Um, what happens is a, a bug uh, starts to drink this, this sweet nectar, this sweet juice in the bowl of the plant. Of course, it, it finds it delicious. Uh, but then when it's ready to fly away, uh, to move along to the next delight, it finds out that this nectar um, uh, is, is very, very sticky and it cannot actually escape the sticky fluid uh, in the bowl. Um, and uh, it, it turns out that this nectar um, is not only sticky, but it is not unlike the uh, digestive juices in our stomach. And so uh, at first the bug begins to kind of wrestle uh, to try to get away, they kind of struggle and stuff. But what they begin to realize little by little is that they are actually dissolving and being eaten alive by this liquid and in a sense uh, drowning in this sweet, uh, beautiful pool of death. And we loved it. Uh, and you're laughing, but that's kind of how our mom taught us about the sacredness of life. And, uh, unfortunately, as we saw last week in 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is pretty much the story 
of David's romantic tryst with this beautiful flower of Bathsheba. It's pretty much always, always the story when any of us in little tiny ways or in big ways tried to sample the nectar of sin. We discover, as did David, that it's much easier to get into sin than it is to get out of sin. First, we are consumers and then we are consumed. We start off as a bug in the nectar. We end up as a bug on the windshield. Things out of our control, way beyond anything we ever imagined. And, and now after a year of, 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 of denial and, and, and guilt and being pretty much swallowed alive by remorse and regret, David is finally ready to bring his guilt before God. And that's why he prays. This prayer in Psalm 51, it's one of seven psalms uh, in the book of Psalms that are described as penitential, penitential psalms, which means these are psalms of, of deep sorrow and, and regret. And one of the reasons that Psalm 51 is such a treasure is because it reminds us of three important truths uh, about our sin and the way God deals with us when we fall short and fail it. First of those Three big ideas that I want us to think about this morning is simply this, that, that, when, that, 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 that in some ways, this psalm teaches us a, a profound truth about the joy of conviction. The joy of conviction. Now, most of us, when we hear penitential psalm, we think of a penitentiary, right? We think of imprisonment. We, we think of a place where you're going to get locked in and stay because you did not fill in your connect card. You know, we think of it as being a place where you're locked up. But in Scripture, penitence, uh, a recognition of sin, is actually a way out. It's an opportunity for release from the bondage and the shackles of sin. Yeah, it, it is kind of a tunnel, a dark tunnel through which we pass. But it's a tunnel of darkness that leads to the light. It, it brings us escape. Uh, let's go back to the text. Look at, look at verses 1 to 3, Psalm 51. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. See, see David's been shackled by guilt. He's been, he's been trapped by his transgressions. He, he's, like a, he's like a guy in prison. Every day, see, every hour sees the same four walls. David says, I know my transgressions. How often he must have rehearsed over and over again this horrible year through which he has lived. He says, my sin is ever before me. It's, it's interesting. One of the, um, I think one of the misconceptions that people have about about the good news of the gospel, particularly outside of the church, but maybe even some of us here today, maybe you're just visiting. And, uh, and, and this is kind of a misconception um, that, that, that you've sort of uh, embraced. It's, it's the idea that confessing our sin is about beating ourselves up. That, that if you really want to confess your sin, that, that you have to kind of go to this place of, of just, you know, self-loathing. Uh, and, 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 and to some extent, yeah, it's true. There needs to be honest self-appraisal that we're sinners. If we're going to confess our sin, there needs to be honest self-appraisal that we're, we're broken people. 
Paul, in fact, describes himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, as a wretched man. That We read this in Scripture that apart from, from God, we can do nothing. We're, we're trapped in the nectar of our sin. But, but penitence is not about seeing ourselves as worthless jerks. You know, it, it's not about kind of flogging ourselves with thoughts of self-hatred and, and self-pity. It's about seeing ourselves as God sees us. As God sees us. And God sees us as the beloved. We are the beloved. We are broken, but we are his beloved. And when we begin to see ourselves as God sees us, in our brokenness and unworthiness, we can begin to appreciate the wonder and the joy of God's grace. That it's only by his grace and mercy and Jesus' death on the cross that we can make our escape from the prison of guilt and the sentence of death. And so in that sense, conviction, conviction, is actually a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing. I think one of the reasons that most of us maybe don't more appreciate the grace of God is that we don't really appreciate the depth of our sin against God. We don't appreciate the depth of our offense to God. I mean, I remember myself growing up in church, you know, middle school, high school, I wasn't the least bit bothered by sin never gave it a thought because I didn't know what the heck it was. I mean, I heard about it, but I, didn't know. I remember the preacher kind of, you know, pointing to us kids up on the balcony. You kids are sinners. We didn't know what he was talking about. We we're kind of going, thanks, you know. Hey, mom, the preacher mentioned this in the service. You know, we didn't know what he was. I came home and said, mom, the preacher said I'm a sinner. She said, you are a sinner. I said, mom, look at me. I'm too short to play sinner. I mean, I, I wasn't the least bit offended. I didn't have a clue what the heck he was talking about. Think about it this way. Conviction uh, of sin, as bad as it actually makes us feel, in fact, helps to awaken us to something serious that needs to be healed. What, what if you lost your capacity to feel pain? What if you actually lost your capacity to feel hurt and pain? That wouldn't be a good thing. That, that would be a horrific thing. Because that, that's actually what prevents further injury. Um, I remember several years ago, my daughters were just little girls at the time. We did a family vacation in Colorado, and we decided to go snowmobiling up on the Continental Divide. It was, you know, the heart of the winter. And so we put on all of this clothing, you know, layer after layer after layer after layer. And, um, you know, so we're basically, you know, sort of the Michelin family. And uh, we go out there, they, they take us in a, a van up to uh, the put-in point near the top of the Continental Divide. And uh, my wife was on one snowmobile, my older sister, my older, my older uh, daughter was behind uh, her. And then I was on another snowmobile and my younger daughter, Katie, was behind me. Katie's probably about four or five years old. And, um, and, and, and she grabs me, but I can't even feel her. She's got her arms around me. I got so much stuff on. I don't even hardly know she's back there, but... But anyway, uh, and so, you know, after we get our instructions, we're ready to start our, our snowmobiles. And, uh, and, and back then, it's before you had the push button thing. So, you know, you had to do it like that. And I couldn't get mine started. You know, and I keep just, you know, and, and finally the guide comes over and says, sir, sir. And I look at him, what? And he says, you're hitting your daughter in the face. <laughs> I turn around, Katie's got a bloody nose. I mean, I'm going, she's going, you know. I mean, she's going, 
if you think this is fun, okay. You know, but I'm not enjoying it yet. I, I mean, I didn't know it because I couldn't feel a thing. I, see, how many of us even in this room, were it not for the conviction of sin, in, in, a, in, a, in a sense, that wonderful pain, how many of us would, would end up hurting people we really, really love? But God gives us this, this gift of conviction. Yes, yes, it hurts. Yes, it stings. But in some ways, it's, it's a joyful thing. You know, for all of David's failures, his saving grace was this. He could not, he could not numb himself to the guilt of his sin. In fact, if, if you look in Psalm 32, this is another one of the penitential Psalms and another one in which he reflects on his, his remorse for his sin with Bathsheba. He writes in verses three and four, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You see, David understood the severe mercy of a God who loves us enough to hurt us, to haunt us, to bring us under conviction for our sin. That pain, that pain is a gift to bring us to the tears of confession. The tears of confession. And, and that's, that's the second big idea I want us to think about in this text. This, this freedom of confession. First of all, we see in Psalm 51 a truth about the joy of conviction. But we also need to think about the, the, the freedom of confession. Uh, everybody in the room this morning who is a parent or has ever been a parent, all of us have learned the fine art of writing excuses uh, for a child who has been absent from school. And, and I never liked writing those. It, it, I kind of resented that I had to tell the school what I was doing with my child. And, and so whenever we went away on vacation, if we took him out of school, um, I would always, always use the same line. I, I would always say, they've been away uh, studying history in the cradle of America's, and then I would just fill in the blank. So if it was Colorado, the cradle of America's ski industry. You know, if it was Orlando, the cradle of America's entertainment. And, 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 uh, and, and I didn't like it. But, but all of us who have written those notes also know that those notes are often written under pressure, hurriedly, uh, around a breakfast table as somebody quickly leaves the kitchen. And, and so we can appreciate that there are times when errors are made, uh, words are left out, uh, other words are actually misspelled. And, and, and some of these uh, errors are absolutely classic. Uh, for example, one of my favorites is, my son is under doctor's care and should not take P.E. today. Please execute him. <laughs> or um, I like this one. Please excuse Stephen for being, it was his father's fault. <clears throat> uh, how about this one? Sherry wasn't feeling well today, so I had her shot. <laughs> I think this was a misspelling. Ralph was absent from school yesterday because he had a sore trout. Sore trout. I hope this was a misspelling for sure. Please excuse Heather's absence from school yesterday. She was in bed with Gramps. Uh, and in this one, uh, I like this one best of all. Please excuse Sally from school. It was take your daughter to work day, but I don't have a job, so I just made her stay home and do housework. <laughs> 
What we notice right away in Psalm 51 is that David is far more interested in making things right with God than he is in making excuses for his wrong behavior. Let's look back in the text, verse 3. I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You see that last phrase? You're, you're right in your verdict, justified when you judge. In Psalm 32, verse 5, the very same sort of idea. David writes there, Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. See, the key to, to David's process of, of healing was he was willing to move beyond excuse making and finger pointing and, 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 and denial and admit he had done wrong. He'd done wrong. Look, look back at the verse 5, Psalm 32. I acknowledged my sin. I did not cover up. I will confess. The best doctor in the world can't really begin to help us until we're willing to tell him, him or her where it hurts, right? Uh, it, it, suppose I go to the doctor's office and, uh, and I tell the doctor, I've got, I got a little bit of a pain in my stomach. And the doctor says, oh, okay, Mr. Robbins, uh, why don't you take your shirt off so I can take a look? And I go, mm, you know what, doc, I've seen this body without a shirt. And that's not something you're going to want to look at. You know, unless you want to get sick. I, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is there needs to be exposure if there's going to be healing. God won't heal what we're unwilling to reveal. That requires confession, open, honest confession. And yet from the very, very beginning of time, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, man's instinctive response in the face of disobedience and sin has been to hide from God to try to cover our rear, cover our tracks, cover ourselves. We've got to be honest. We, we've got to be vulnerable about our sin before God. Now, you go, okay, I get that, but, but what does that actually mean, confession? Does that mean that I go to a, a, a booth and I, I talk to a... What, what, you know, what does it mean to, to confess our sin? First of all, confession comes from a Greek word, homologeo, which means say the same thing. It's two words mean say the same thing. It's a way of saying, God, look, I understand. You call my attitude, my actions sinful. That's just what they are. David nailed it. He said, I agree with your verdict. I understand your judgment. It is absolutely correct. This was not a slip up. This is not, you know, oh, oh, because my parents uh, spanked me when I was a child or my father was distant or it's not society's fault uh, or even Bathsheba's fault. It's not because my, uh, you know, big brother locked me in the bathroom. My mama made me wear bow ties. This, this is for something much, much deeper than that. All of these things may be true. That there may be a number of factors that, that influence all of us in the choices, the bad choices and the good that we make. That's true. But notice in verse 5, David understands that ultimately his problem was not primarily because he had a bad upbringing or the pressures of being king or, or just a moment of weakness on a bad day. This is about David having a sinful nature. This is his bent. David writes in verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. True confession 
is rooted in the understanding that we are sinful by nature. That we're not all basically good. That we deny the truth about God. We suppress the truth about God. And, and, and that leads us to develop these habits and these patterns that, that drive us in the wrong direction. And even when we try to turn around, we still end up going the wrong direction a different way. That's because our very nature is sin. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, all of us, all of us are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you might have, as we read through this passage, had a question about a verse right here, verse 4. Because as you read through it, it's, it's a little bit arresting. Look at it with me. Uh, David writes, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I think most of us read that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, not so fast, David. What do you mean against God only have you sinned? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about all the guys that died with him on the field of battle? Seems like you pretty mightily messed up their lives as well. And that's true. And that's true. But this is David simply stating an undeniable fact, and it's this. Ultimately, all of our sin, any of our sin, no matter how tiny or how big or how glaring or how private, all of our sin is a sin against God. It's a serious business. It's a serious business. All of our sin is a sin against God. Uh, I, I, you go, but what about the other people? Yes, but ultimately it all comes back to an offense against the majesty of the Lord himself. I remember when I was a little boy, you know, I put my brother's tinker toys in the toilet. That was an offense against him, but it was my father who acted as judge. It was my father who executed justice. Ultimately, every sin is a sin against God. So confession sets us free to open ourselves again to God. With all of our secrets, all of our sickness, scars, resentments, jealousies, addictions, whatever it is that you and I struggle with this morning, we can open ourselves to God with the clear confidence that we're not going to tell God anything that will make him love us any less. We're not going to shock God. He knows us at our worst, but he loves us. He loves us anyway. In fact, remember, remember Jesus told the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 to 13, those who are well have no need of a physician, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, but sinners. Men and women, there are some of us here this morning who deeply need to hear that word of release. Even now, you're, you're, you're sort of sitting here perhaps and, and you, you feel that, that low haunting, uh, that, that, that sting uh, that, 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 that of, of regret and remorse of decisions and choices made, words that were spoken that can't be unspoken, decisions that were made that can't be unmade, and, and people have been hurt because we were not conscious or ignoring the conviction of God. What if we could really believe? What if this morning you could really believe in that promise of grace and mercy and know the freedom, the freedom of conviction? David was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a mass murderer. He was a conniver. He was a liar. If God can forgive him, 
then God can forgive any of us in this room. We can pray along with David in verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are God, my Savior. That's the freedom of confession. The freedom of confession. Which brings us to the last observation I want us to make as we look at this text this morning, and that's the wonder of forgiveness. The wonder of forgiveness. David's story offers us, I think, both a, a warning and a promise. Uh, because it reminds us of what forgiveness is, but it also helps us to see something about what forgiveness is not. Um, let's, let's begin with what forgiveness um, is not. What forgiveness is not. One of my favorite websites uh, is a website called Tattoo Fails. Tattoo Fails. Um, the, this is remarkable. Now, let me just say, first of all, <clears throat> I am not anti-tattoo, okay? I don't myself have any. Uh, but my wife, Maggie, has a, a tattoo, and it's awesome. I, mean, I, I don't know the guy's name, but he looks nice enough. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, uh, it's fantastic. I, I don't think I've ever seen such a, a, a sassy armadillo. But, uh, but, but I am not anti-tattoo. But, but, um, but sometimes when you look at this website and you look at these images, you know, you're just going, holy cow. Like, okay, it's okay to get a tattoo, but at least... Run spell check before you get too far into it, you know? This is going to be there for a long time. Uh, or just sometimes you're thinking, okay, advertising space. I get it. <laughs> but are you sure that's really what you want to do with your body? Uh, and then there, then there are the ones where you're thinking, uh, you know what? That could have an impact on your employment down the road. You're going to have to go into youth ministry. You know, or, or uh, how about this one? Uh, I love this one. All right, cool, cool tattoo, dude. Um, what about the Partridge family? Uh, the only band left out. This, by the way, is, is Justin Teague. Well, let's, let's, uh, here's another one. I like this one. This is kind of cool. Uh, too cool for school. Yeah. Got to love the irony there, right? And, uh, and I should say, you know, because I know a lot of you have uh, tattoos and that's, we're praying for you, but, but uh, no, no, seriously, it's great. Uh, they can be really, really cool. If you, everybody can't pull them off. Some people can, some people can't. That, that, that's fantastic. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. When we look at David's life, it is very clear that in some ways, sin puts a tattoo on our hearts and our history. There is a permanence to some elements of sin. God cleanses us from the guilt of our sin, but quite often we discover we're not cleaned from the consequences of our sin. We know this. All of us know this. Some of us know it in ways that are quite painful. The tuition was extremely high to learn this lesson. The Bible is extremely honest about this. It's just, sin is not a game. God forgave David for his sin. Look at verse seven. He is now washed as white as snow, whiter than snow. But in the meantime, there are generations of consequences for David's sin. Over and over and over again, we see echoes of David's uh, indiscipline and his, and his uh, lust and his unwillingness to, to come clean with God and the implications that were played out for his kingdom and for his family. They were brutal. 
Scripture is unblinkingly straightforward about this. In fact, the writer of Proverbs chapter 20 probably puts it best. Verse 17, he says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. And there's some of us in here this morning. We know what it's like to chew on the gravel. Some of it gravel that we ourselves have consumed. Some of it gravel that remains from someone else's secret feast. And we know the pain and the consequence of sin. We can be forgiven. But quite often the consequences remain. Short-term decisions that leave permanent marks on the heart, on the conscience. A, a marriage, on a family. Long-time patterns that breed a lifetime of consequence. Men and women, everybody in this room, young and old alike, we need to be warned by this. It's so hard, I think, especially when you're, when you're middle school, high school, it's so hard to buy into this, to understand this, to, to get your head around this. God cleanses us from the guilt of our sin, but quite often we discover that we're not cleansed from the consequences of our sin. God will forgive us, but nature is not always so gracious. And yet David, even in his regrets, even in his honesty about his bad decisions, even in his remorse, he can still cling to one promise, one certainty. And this points us to what forgiveness is. This promise is enough to sustain him and inspire him and restore him to the joy that he once knew. Look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. What David understood was, yeah, I, I'm still a broken and a needy sinner, but there's a God whose grace and goodness is bigger than all of my grief and all of my badness. It's a reminder of those words of Corey Tinboom. She said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. David's prayer here in Psalm 51, it's interesting. David uses four different words to name his sin. He's honest about that. But if you go through and count, he uses 19 different verbs to invoke or declare God's actions of restoration and forgiveness. Please, let's don't ever forget that ratio of sin to grace. God's grace wins out. God's grace wins out. And what that means for you and for me this morning, maybe you think, you don't understand. You don't know the choices I've made. You don't know the, the, the stuff I'm involved in. You don't know where my head has been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my decisions. Here's what I do know. There is a God. There is a God who perhaps even now is good enough to bring you under conviction for your sin. And he's doing this out of love. Not to torture you, but to touch you, 
to bring you within his embrace, to nudge us out of darkness into the freedom of confession and the wonder of forgiveness. David assures us in verse 17, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You will not despise. It, it reminds me of that little boy. You know, I, I can still remember uh, my dad standing there in pain and, and shocked. Uh, he, he can't understand. You know, it, it took him a moment to sort of register what had happened and what I'd done. And he's hurt. And, 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 uh, and, and of course, in a flash, in a blink of an eye, I go from expecting something really, really cool to realizing this was really, really bad. And of course, I just burst into tears. I just start crying because I feel awful. Uh, you know, I, 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 just, I, I just can't believe I've done this. And before I ever even got a chance to get my apology out, I just started to say, Dad, I'm sorry. Before I even get a chance to finish the sentence, my dad is around the table hugging me. Said, I understand. I know, you, I know you didn't mean to hurt me. And I love you, Duff. I love you, son. Men and women, can you hear God saying that to you this morning through this psalm? The pain is real. We have given grave offense to God. But this is a God who does not give up on us. This is a God who invites us to come within the arms of his embrace and his grace and forgiveness. It, it reminds me of that, uh, of that hymn. It's one of my favorites. An old um, Wesley hymn, he says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for him for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? And then these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I, I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. Followed thee. That's the invitation we had this morning to Christ, our Savior. And that's why this morning we're invited to take part in this feast we call the Lord's Supper. We call communion. This is a way that we celebrate and remember Jesus' death on the cross, where he paid the debt of death that we owe for our sin, and then rose again to life so that we might share with him the goodness and grace of intimacy with God. You remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was meeting with his disciples, and there in the upper room he took the bread, and he broke it. And he looked around the table at these guys and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat this. And then in the same way, he took the cup. He took the cup and he said, this cup, represents a covenant sealed by my blood, a promise sealed by my blood, a pledge to you sealed by my blood. Take this and drink it. 
This morning, we want to invite you to share this same feast. You don't have to be a member of Faith Bridge. If you're joining us here at the Woodlands or in the Klein campus, if you're online, you don't need to be a, a member. Uh, if you are a believer, you're invited to this table. And the way we do communion here at Faith Bridge is by intention. And what that means is when you come up to the front, you can come at your leisure. The ushers will direct you where to go. You will simply grab one of the wafers and dip it into the cup. You don't drink from the cup, you dip. We, we, the, the, the proverb to remember is, is dip, not sip. And, and, and so you dip it into the cup and drink. Um, and as you do this, drink deeply of the grace and the love of God. That's how we celebrate this feast. Let's pray. Lord, amazing love, how can it be that you would die for us, broken sinners? But we celebrate this morning that this is precisely the proposal, the proposition you've made. You sealed it by your blood. So now take this bread and this cup. We consecrate it. We set it apart unto you, Lord, so that through it we might receive the grace of your presence and that you might once again, in a fuller way, receive us as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi, and welcome to Postscript. I'm Dan Slagle, the Care and Bridging Pastor here at Faith Bridge, and I am with Duffy Robbins, who brought us a great message today from Psalm 51. Yep. Thanks for being here, Duff. My pleasure. Always, always good to have you. Always a pleasure to come. Thank so you. the burning question, no doubt, is just how deep did that needle go? <laughs> See, I knew you guys were going to pick on me for this and, and, and you know, what a story. take advantage of this painful memory of a small child. but. I don't know. I just, I do remember it was enough to draw blood. I do remember he was hurt by it. I think, because um, I, because I, if I, when I first put it in, you know, it just was horizontal. I had to execute it just right to have it be <laughs> vertical. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, great story of forgiveness <laughs> and redemption there, no doubt. Yeah. Well, we have had some really good questions come in. Uh, good related to the message. Anybody who practices their faith uh, with any seriousness, of course, didn't hear anything particularly new today. It's, right. it's just a part of the rhythm of being a Christian, confessing, yeah. looking for forgiveness, moving forward. But I have noticed and experienced in my own life that no matter how many times we go through this, learning each time that it's so much better to get right with God, it doesn't seem like it gets any easier along the way. Two questions. Why, why do you think that is so persistently challenging and what might we do to diminish some of that reluctance to come before God with our mm. sin? Well, yeah, me too. I've experienced that. I, I have to say, I think the first uh, question is a lot easier to answer than the second one. Because the, the answer to the first one, I think, is, you know, this the is the deeply rooted sinful nature mm -hmm. in all of us that makes us want to go it alone. Yeah. You know, that wants to deny the truth about God. And you don't, until you really come to terms with that, 
uh, you, there's just, there, is, there is no good reason because you go, why, why would you do this? Why wouldn't you just come clean? Why wouldn't you just get it over with? Sure. Because there's something about us that, that, that we don't, you know, we just don't want to do that. We still are rebels in arms at, to some extent. And uh, so I, I think that part of it is easier for me to understand. Um, the, the how do we remedy that? I suppose over time, although I haven't gotten to this time yet, so I can't yeah. say. For, but I think, um, I think you know, more and more it's developing a sensitivity. You know, Wesley talked about uh, a sensitivity to sin, mm -hmm. and uh, and a so that we're much more aware of it. We know, in, in some ways, it's sort of like when you're newly married. You know, you 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 commit offenses against your spouse. You didn't even mean to. Some of you right. did, but most of you didn't. Over time, there are fewer of those because, because A, you know more about what your spouse's mm -hmm. wishes are, but also because of a deep commitment to her that I don't want to grieve her. So, so I'm much more sensitive. I might even play it. You know, I might play it a little bit safer. I want to make, I, I want to, you know, I want to make sure I don't uh, hurt her feelings. So maybe over time, as we become more spiritually mature, and the love deepens, and the awareness and sensitivity uh, matures, uh, maybe we, it's not that we're any more willing necessarily to ask for forgiveness, but perhaps a little bit less willing to sin. Yeah, yeah. You know. I, that deepening love is a, a, a good component. I had yeah. not thought about that. So we are blessed here at Faith Bridge to have a, a large number of former Catholics in our congregation. And as you well know, when that word confession comes up, they immediately go to the confession box, the priest, right. those sorts of things. Um, putting that image aside, though, when is confession to another person a, a good and healthy thing to do? And when might we not go there and just keep it between ourselves and, and God? Right. Well, actually, I think confession to another person is almost always a good idea. I mean, and this is this is a principle that, you know, Paul talks about pastorally in Scripture. Confess your sins one to another. John talks about this um, in his epistles. Um, but that's different than the sort of uh, Roman Catholic, uh, you know, discipline of, mm -hmm. say, going to my priest. And, right. and, and, and so that type of confession or, or going to a person who's going to help me feel as if I've really been forgiven, that I've gotten absolution, to use a good uh, Roman Catholic word. Uh, that's a little bit, that's a different type of, of confession to a person. Um, but I think sometimes there are, there are uh, uh, scars so deep, wounds so deep that uh, Roman Catholic, Protestant, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We need someone to walk us through that. Um, partially because maybe we don't want to recall these, these memories or we don't want to talk about them. And, and, and talking about them is one of the ways that we sort of uh, defang them. Mm -hmm. You know, that, uh, that, that we name these things and we, and we go back in prayer and recognize that Jesus was with us. You know, I know that you know my, my former pastor, uh, where I worked as a youth pastor was a guy named David Siemens, mm -hmm. and he talked about this as the healing of damaged emotions, right. or healing of the memories, and uh, and he, you know, he felt that this was an important discipline, where for some people to go back and and have someone help them walk back through these memories, uh, and walk back through them with Jesus, 
uh, and realize that, yeah, I, 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 Jesus was there, even though it was painfully, that that was not a, that was not a, a God vacuum in my life, that, that I can go back and, and, and know that Jesus suffered with me there. Um, and, and so I think that, there, that, that, that kind of one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, confession and, and, and talking about sin, where I think uh, it has its limits or perhaps where it crosses a line is when we go, um, that somehow that person has a, a line to God that I don't have. Okay. That they have an access to God that I don't have because they're a priest or they are ordained or they are whatever. Right. Because we have a high priest who is Jesus. And, um, and, and so he's opened for us, the writer of Hebrews says, a new and living way right into the throne room of God. And, uh, and, and, and so that's where I think um, uh, we cross the line if, if we think there's a necessity to have that person so that we can have access to God. I see. I think it's helpful sometimes, and it may be necessary for us to fully come to terms with what God's done. That may be helpful to have somebody, but that's where I think it kind of crosses the line. Okay. So one of the really great points of the message was the distinction between forgiveness and consequences. That uh, we can be forgiven, but we cannot necessarily expect to be free of possible consequences. One listener wrote in, how can we deal with a constant guilt that sometimes comes with those consequences that just sort of brings us back over and over and perhaps makes the reception of forgiveness difficult? Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons why uh, we need to be aware of the fact that sin is not a game. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, that this is a, that, uh, that there are, I mean, the scripture says the way of the transgressor is hard. And, uh, and we live in a culture where we just go, oh, yeah, you know, just not a big deal. You know, sin and, and confess and confess. But, uh, but those sins have consequences. Uh, over time, and, and they develop patterns that become even more destructive. And 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 so to to, to get to your question, I think part of it is uh, recognizing first of all that, um, as as I mentioned today, that every sin is a grave offense primarily against God. Mm -hmm. And so I go, but yeah, I, I've offended Uriah, or I've offended Bathsheba, or I've I've wounded my children, or I've I've hurt my wife deeply. Um, yes, you did. But, but the, the greatest offense is against God. And, um, and, and we go to him and ask for forgiveness. We go to them and ask for forgiveness. Um, but that's all we can do, and that's what God calls us to do. And I, I, don't know that, uh, I don't know that we'll ever, because we're, because we're human, I don't know, because we have memories, we can ever just go, okay, all right, no, no, no sweat. Um, because in some cases, we see we see those consequences every day, you know, in vivid ways. Uh, the 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 wife who's no longer there, the children who no longer speak to us, yeah. uh, the felony conviction that that has changed my life. Mm -hmm. like God forgave me for what I did, but still, but the court didn't. And so I think that's that's the problem. Is it, is is those everyday encounters sort of reopen the wound? 
Um, and to me, there's no there's no remedy to that other than these two things, which are big remedies to, to somebody. One is to say, again, my offense was against God. Take him at his word. Yeah, take him at his word. I've been forgiven. And then secondly, to recognize that God is a sovereign God and that God somehow in his sovereignty, and this to me is the great, is the great wonder of, of his sovereignty, is that somehow in ways I can't begin to understand, will take all these shards of broken hopes and promises and and somehow weave them together in this masterpiece, this mosaic that brings glory to him. I don't know how God's gonna do that, but I'm not God. Um, and uh, and that's where I have to kind of, that's again, I have to relinquish, I have to let go. I have to let go of my sin. I have to let go of the consequences of my sin. Um, or there won't be real freedom. And if I don't, then I'm in a sense kind of putting myself above God. I would go, well, God, you forgive me, but I don't. Yeah. And and uh, and that is in itself kind of an offense against His Majesty. So we take on a much more forward view of the consequences rather than revisiting the guilt. Yeah, yeah, We're, yeah, we're looking for the redemption. Good, yeah, good. Definitely. Okay, one more question. Um, thought this was an interesting one. How can we have the same posture before God that David had when perhaps we haven't done anything remotely as severe as murder? How, yeah. how do we keep yeah. that same sense of humility in yeah. our hearts? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, that, that judgment that I haven't been as bad as David is a judgment that I'm making, right. and I'm not the judge, yeah. you know? So, I, cause, because for God, all of it is an offense. And all of it is uh, is sin that equals death. Now, I I don't believe that every sin is equal in this respect. Um, every sin is worthy of a death sentence, but every sin doesn't have equal consequence. Um, there there, it's one thing to lust that doesn't have the same consequence as rape, even though right. the rape maybe was maybe was uh, seated in lust or power or whatever, but. So, so you could say that the consequences of them are different, but in terms of a legal breach of the law of God, Jesus said in Matthew five, same thing. Yeah. You know, so, so uh, I think that's that's kind of one of the ways. That's one of the correctives that Scripture gives us. Well, I didn't do that, and I didn't do that, but uh, but this is where recognizing that it's not about just what we do, it's who we are as sinners, as rebels, that is an offense against God. The way different people act it out is, is sort of a symptom of the real offense, the real offense against God. It's denying the truth about Him, making ourselves God instead of allowing Him to be. Hey, Duffy, thanks so much. It was a great message. Always fun to have you here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on another edition of Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.